Hey, thanks for joining us. We're back in our series here called Finding Life. And back on Easter, we examined the idea that if what gives us life can be taken away, then are we really living? And we came to realize that the eternal kind of life, a relationship with God, with the true God through Jesus Christ, could never be taken away and could give us the greatest kind of living on this earth and beyond. Last week, we examined the destination of the broadest road, kind of the direction Jesus said everybody was kind of headed at default. And we looked at this idea of destruction. You can go back to those sermons and look at that. But this week, I want to examine on his other call, the call to find life, to find the narrow door, to go after that which is the most precious, even difficult, which is that eternal life. And so today, I really want to ask that question. Do you really want it? We know we need it. We know what it is, but do we want this relationship with God? Do we want this kind of eternal life? And Jesus kind of describes the desire and the longing in an interesting parable. He says it here in Matthew chapter 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up and then in his joy goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Man, do we long for eternal life, a relationship with God forever and ever and ever? And so much that we're willing to sell everything, so much that we're willing to get rid of it all. My my boys have a sense of this. Throughout the last two weeks, they have come to me every single day. One of them comes up and says, hey, dad, can we buy this new video game, Animal Crossings? And I'm like, no, no. It's like, and then they would get together and say, your turn, you go ask them. And the next one would come up the next day. Dad, can we buy it today? We're all going to pool all our money together and buy it. Another one would come up. Dad, we're not even going to fight. We're going to, it's going to be awesome. We're going to work together. And over and over and over to the point that a couple of them even went out to the backyard and weeded the big hill in our backyard. At that point, I had to say, yeah, man, you're willing to go that far. (laughs) Here you go. Now, what's interesting is that eternal life should be something we desire and long for so much like that. We're willing to give up anything. And yet, I feel like it's a little bit more like how I felt when I was eight years old or nine years old, and I had an Atari, and my friend had a Nintendo. And I got to play Super Mario Brothers on the Nintendo. Well, I loved that game. And one day, I'm out, and I'm walking down the big aisle at Toys R Us. You know, I'm talking about the amazing super aisle of video games lined up everywhere. And I saw that the Atari had Mario Brothers, and it had the same picture as the Super Mario Brothers. And then I'm, like, all pumped up. And I went home. I saved money. I got all this stuff. I went back. I bought it. So pumped, excited, tearing open the package, plugged it into the thing, turned it on. No, it was normal Mario Brothers, one level, jumping around on these silly uh, turtle shells. It was awful. I was so frustrated. It was so under what I expected. I was sold a bill of goods, never bought a video game based on the cover again. And I think that's why a lot of people don't have a hunger, don't have a thirst, don't have a longing like Jesus described for heaven. Because the way it's been described in so many, over the so many years in so many ways just makes heaven sound boring. You know, like, we're going to sit around on clouds, plucking harps, bring, bring, with little cherub angels floating around. I mean, like, ugh, boring. Some people said it's an eternal worship service. We're going to be singing forever. And some of you guys think that's great. I love singing. That, I don't think that sounds amazing. I think that would be kind of overwhelming and, and the same thing for a very long time. Other people have said, you know, it's so ethereal. You're just floating in front of God, and you're just amazed, and we don't even know what that means. And you, you can't long for something you don't connect with. No wonder I've seen on Facebook people say, you know, the party's in hell, the booze is in hell. Why would you want to go to heaven? And it's that problem, that lack of longing for eternal life, that lack of longing for heaven that we're headed towards if you know Jesus Christ. 
that causes us to long for this world almost more than we long for eternal life. There's a danger in that, as we'll see, but I want to challenge you today because our thirst for eternal life will grow when we feel what we're missing. And I want to grow your thirst today. This is my job. I want to bring you to a place where you feel the thirst for heaven. You're not going to think about your need for heaven. You're going to feel it. Just like your body says it needs water. You feel it. You feel the quenching when you drink the water. I want to get you to the place where you long and desire heaven so you can take hold of it and grab it and understand. And the best place I can take you for that to explain this eternal state of life that's going to be in the end, ultimately, is here in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. If you have a Bible, go grab it right now and open it up to Revelation 21, 22. You can grab the app or or whatever it is. It's here at the end. And what you are reading and what you're going to be looking at is a vision given to the Apostle John. So note that this is a vision. That means that these are symbols. These are objects he's looking at that have meaning in them. Sort of like when you have a dream and somehow you know the scenario that's going on. You know who people are, even though it's a dream. And the point is, this has information in it. And so he's describing things that have information welded into them. And they explain eternal life. In fact, I think he wets our whistle right at the beginning about this. He gets us beginning to be thirsty even more as he explains that eternal life is is the superior version of life. Eternal life is the superior version of life. Notice how this begins. Verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. For all you surfers out there, that means the demonic chaos. Not necessarily, there's no ocean, just just so you know. Um, And he goes on, I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. In fact, let's jump down to verse 6, or verse 5 actually. He says, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he also said, write these down, for these things are trustworthy and true. Notice, four times now, this word new has shown up. In the Greek, the word is more akin to something that we understand. It's this idea of new and approved. You see, I know a lot of people in life who do. They feel like heaven can't be explained. It's so out there, so unimaginable, and so they don't long for it. It's too weird. And yet that's not the case of what this word means. The word new here is more like what happens when you had an 8-bit video game system and suddenly the new and improved version is the Xbox. I mean, you're talking about advancements. They're similar. They're video game systems. One is superior to the other. Give you a different example if you're not into video games. There used to be a time where there were crank phones, right? Hello, hello, right? That's what happened. And now you have an iPhone. It's the same thing. There's a connection between the phones. But the iPhone is superior to the crank phone. It's superior in its kind. And what we have here is a connection from there to this. In the same way, there's a connection between the present heavens, the present earth, and the new one. The new heavens, the new earth, but it's superior. The reason we know there's a connection is because of Jesus. You see, his resurrection His body was a new resurrected body. His body was the new human, 2.0, whatever you want to call it. And when you saw Jesus, he still was recognizable as Jesus. He still had his scars. He was still human. He ate food in the resurrected body. 
And what we see, though, is that Jesus could live in the spiritual realm at the same time, in his resurrected body. He could show up in a room. He could pass through walls. He could keep people from understanding who he was. This is a very different level of human existence, but it's at least recognizable, understandable in connection to the other. In the same way, heaven's the same. It's new and improved. In fact, what makes it new is amazing. Let's go back up to verse 3. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Do you hear what's going on here? Do you sense the hunger? I know you do, because there are families right now in our church, and I've heard of you. You have loved ones who've died. And right now, you can't mourn them properly. You can't gather as a family. You can't celebrate and bring out their photos and sit in a room and weep and hurt, you can't mourn rightly right now. There are those of you who have loved ones, children even, who are in hospitals, who you are afraid are dying, who are going through things they shouldn't be going through as children, and we know that this world is broken and our hearts hurt and long and thirst for a change. There are those of you who are stuck in poverty and the world around you is getting worse. There's no jobs. There's nothing going on and depression is grabbing and fear is grabbing and you feel a thirst for a change. There are those of you who are looking at the disease and the fear that's rampant in this world and you're longing for a change. Guys, do you not sense the need for a new and improved? And yet here he says, there is no more death in the new and improved. You don't have to say goodbye. There's no more funerals. My job's out, man. Praise the Lord. There's no more sickness and pain. There's no, for those of you who are in chronic pain, it will be over. For those of you who are staring at genetic problems, it will be over because it will be finally a new world without the suffering, without the sin, without the brokenness sin brought into it. Don't you long for that? No, I think we do. And I want you to stay thirsty. I want you to continue to long for that because God will satisfy that. In fact, it goes on. He says in verse 6, as we follow along here, He who who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he also said, Write this down. It's faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give him the spring of water without payment. If you're thirsty, he's paid for it through Jesus Christ's work on the cross and the resurrection. You can have it right now. It's, it's paid for. And yet he goes on, it's the one who conquers, the one who has victory. This one will have this heritage that we're going to talk about, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And that's the encouragement I have to you today. You need to stay thirsty, because what thirst does is it enables you to fight for your faith. You see, there is in all of the tension and all of the pain and all the depression and all the fear is the longing to think God's abandoned you. This is a bunch of garbage. You don't have to believe it. And I'm telling you, the temptation is there. The temptation will be there. And you need to fight for your faith. You need to conquer. You need to press forward. This was a word used to the churches early on in the book. As they faced persecution, as they faced false teaching, as they faced all these things, they had to conquer 
and fight for their faith. Keep going, because when you do, you will receive the reward of what we're talking about here today. You'll have that eternal life. And it's having a thirst for the new, thirst for the improved, a thirst for this better world that will lead you to fight for your faith. But not everybody will. In fact, John goes on and he explains, but as for the cowardly, he says, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be found in the lake, the, their portion will be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And we already talked about the fact that those who find their satisfaction on life are on that broad road to destruction. We don't need to cover that over again. Go back to last week and look at that. But this top group, the cowardly, the faithless, and the detestable, are those who didn't fight for their faith. The cowardly abandoned their faith out of fear of pain and persecution. The faithless abandoned their faith because they just wanted to go after their desires and didn't want to follow God anymore. The detestable are those who literally mock it because they think they know better. What we have here is a group of people who walk away from the faith out of their pride, out of their lustful longings or desires, or those who are just afraid of the pain. And guys, the challenge that John is saying is don't give in. Fight for your faith. Allow yourself to remain thirsty because God will quench it. Do you not sense your thirst for the better world, for the world without death, for the world without pain? Do you not sense that longing in you? Say, yeah, but man, isn't it going to be boring? I mean, it's going to be forever. It's going to be a long time. Well, John's going to set that up. Right here in verse 9, he says, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls from the last plagues. This is an angel that's shown up early already. And he spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Note that bride part for a second. This is the people of God that, we're being, that he's being shown. This isn't just a physical geography. This is a people. And so we see this. and moves in, verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to the great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. All right? And here's what it is. Having the glory of God, it's radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as carnelian. Now, we'll just stop right there for a minute. And what is interesting about this verse is that he is describing the people of God like a city. Now, why? Why a city? In the ancient world, Cities meant a lot. They're, they're a, it's a term that represents security. It's a term that represents a place that you would run to for food when there was famine. It's a place where governments were and the temples for worship were. It was the central location where culture was created and everybody found commerce. It was the place where there was fun, funding for all kinds of stuff. It wasn't the place of poverty. Cities was the place that was teeming with relationships, teeming with people, teeming with the image of God. In other words, this place was full of the human experience. That's what a city is. Maybe you don't like cities. Maybe you hate them. We'll get to that your, your environment a little bit later. But you've got to understand, this is the picture of the people of God gathered together in the fullness of human expression with God right in the middle of it. See, cities aren't boring. Cities are not places that are dull. In fact, That means eternal life is full. It is full. Full of all kinds of things. And that seems to be where John goes with this. He just fills it up. In fact, it begins with this idea here in verse 12. He says, 
it had a great high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes, the sons of Israel, were inscribed. Huh. Okay, what's this? And on the east, there were three gates. And on the north, there were three gates. On the south, there were three gates. And on the west, there were three gates. So, you know, 12 gates in all. And then we end up with this, the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles. What is going on in this text? You know, I, I think you know what's going on. You know, walls represented something very important in the ancient world. You see, some of you sense your thirst for this, this thing called security, this thing called safety. You know, there are those of you who right now are, are having great anxiety because you're afraid to leave your home because of what it might bring to someone that you love because of what it might happen to you. There's a sense that you hole into your house for a sense of security and safety. You've walked through the night in the dark and you've sensed something was coming and something was near. You jumped in your bed and pulled your covers on for security, for safety. You know, the world looked at the walls of a city as a security, as safety. They represented the ability to stand firm. And the thicker the wall, the stronger the wall, the more secure it was. If you've struggled and you've been molested, if you've ever been raped, if you've ever been traumatized in some form with abuse, you know what it's like to walk in a world thirsty for safety and security. And in heaven, my friends, when you have eternal life in a relationship with God, you will find a fullness of security. Eternal life is full and secure. You see, when you're in the presence of God, you're safe now. You have come to the end. This is a wall that is strong with the foundations built on the truths of God, with gates open for all people to come to the God of Israel so that we would know he who has the strength and the protection to secure us. Your faith will not vanish. It won't disappear and there will be no one to do you harm. Full security in the people of God. In eternity. Now that, man, man, I hunger, I long for that. I want that. You know what also I want? And I want to know that I can get to God when I need him. Have you ever been in those situations? I mean, I have where I was literally coming out of a meeting and I kind of got overly uh, animated. How's that for a euphemism? I got angry. I yelled. You know, I, I, I caused pain to people with my words. And I've walked away from those scenarios and I felt so horrible when I, I got on my knees. I didn't feel like I could get to God. I felt like I had lost my access to him. Like I couldn't get near him anymore. Like there was a distance. The fellowship was broken. And maybe you felt that way. Maybe in the middle of your suffering, in the middle of your pain, you've prayed and it feels like your, your voice is bouncing off the walls. And it's not actually helping you to connect with God. You wonder where he is. What you're sensing is a scarcity, a longing for access to God. Check out what John writes. He says in verse 15, And the one who spoke to me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city with its gates and walls. The city lies foursquare, its length the same as its width. Now, this is important. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. You're thinking, Greg, well, how in the world are you getting access to God from a bunch of dimensions? We all want to say, oh, the city's a giant cube. Yes. John is seeing it as a giant cube. Same length, height, and width. Now, if you go back in Hebrew architecture, what you're going to find is there's one place that is a cube. 
It is the Holy of Holies. And what they are saying is the Holy of Holies is expanded to where it's not narrow, it's not small, it's not accessible by one. It is broad, it is large, it is accessible by all who would come to eternal life. God is not far. In fact, what he is saying is you have full access to God. He's never going to bar you. You will never have a loss of fellowship. You will never see that he is far away from you. He will hear your prayers immediately, instantaneously. You will know God personally. You have not been barred. You have been brought near. And our prayers that feel like they bounce off the walls, they will be immediately answered. It will be having a conversation. You will hear him. You will know him. You will walk with him. There is No lack of access. And it is huge. The dimensions are gigantic. They break the laws of physics. They're so large. And the point is, there's plenty of room. No one will be barred out if you want and thirst for eternal life. Oh man, do we not thirst for that experience with God? That that wonder of having his presence, of being there with him? Oh man, another one that bothers me is I love music, right? And, and I, um, my wife especially loves music and she'll find all these new artists and stuff and we'll listen to the music. And I'm like, oh, that's a great song. Oh, that's a great beat. Oh, that's a great, you know, a great tune. And then you read the words and you're like, that's disgusting. It's like somebody cooking cookies and they're offering you and you're like, this is amazing. You're like, yeah, I dropped a little dog poop in them, but don't worry about it. It's like, oh, I mean, when you stop and think about it, everything that seems to be beautiful in this world, everything that seems to be wonderful in this world has a, just a little marred nastiness in it. And you know what's even worse is some of you have had that marred nastiness thrown at you. You've been told you're not beautiful. You're, just, you're smart. You've got a great personality. Maybe even called ugly. Maybe you've been rejected over and over and over again to the point that you feel like your value is worthless. Now you thirst for beauty. You thirst for true beauty, not the the pale, insignificant garbage we can scroll through and see. You want the deep core purity of beauty where it's seen in the sense of your heart, when it's seen in your morality, where it's seen in who you are as God sees you. And guys, That is what you will find in heaven. You see, eternal life is full of beauty. If you'll just look into the next section, I'm just going to summarize it because all it is is a description of the walls with all kinds of like stones and all, and that everything is pure gold and, and clear with all these different stones all over the place. And remember, that means that we are adorned with these pure stones, these pure rocks, these pure, valuable jewels. And what it's saying is that you and I, we walk in beauty. We walk in purity. The things that we will make will have no stain. They won't be muddied and garbled. You won't be able to pick up a movie or pick up a, a, a song and have to filter it through VidAngel or filter it from some explicit material. No, it will be pure and beautiful and wonderful. And we will exult in the museums at the wonder of the beauties. We will look at the architecture and there will be no corruption in them. You will be pure. The people you know will be pure. It is a place of gorgeous beauty that will capture our eyes. It is full of the perfections of beauty because God is perfectly beautiful. And it will reflect him there. In fact, that wonder 
begins to sink into me because I don't necessarily always look for beauty. I long for um, knowledge, to be honest. I, I, I crave it. But we're in a world where you have to you know, kind of sift through what's the lies and what's the truth to the point sometimes you're not even sure anymore. Let alone if you long to know someone, to know a person. You don't even know how to break through to get to know them. There's this time that's needed. There's this length of time, and time is short, and you only have so much life, and so you can only get to know so many people. They can only get to know you so many ways. And yet, here we suddenly see another vision. He says that I, he sits there in verse 22, and I saw no temple in the city, for the, its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on, for the glory of God gives light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And he gets into this light. We don't need this temple. We don't need this repository, this place where we go to know the Lord. No, we will know him. He is the temple. We'll go to him. He is the light. And throughout centuries, throughout the Bible, light indeed is this. It is knowledge. It is enlightenment. It is knowing and being known. And in heaven, in eternal life, there is full knowledge. You will fully know him. You will fully experience him. You will be fully known. You will have full knowledge. We will engage in the knowledge and the exploration of the new heavens and the new earth, and we will grow in our knowing. We will grow in our knowing of God, and there will not be any lies. There won't be any misinterpretations. It will be a full access opportunity to explode in knowledge. And those geeks and nerds out there who love learning stuff, man, heaven's for you. And those of you who long to just simply be known, heaven is for you. It is full knowledge, full light, full beauty. And in that light and in that knowledge and in that beauty, man, what heaven is, it's far from boring. Heaven and eternal life is full of culture, chocked full of culture. And I don't know about you. I love culture. I love going to the nations and tasting their foods and seeing the wonders of their architecture and their beauty. What I hate is when I see that they're given over to false gods and there are poor people in the streets that aren't being cared for. The wonder of a city is that it produces great culture. The horror of a city is its nightlife where all the sexuality and all the sin is rampant and the streets are dangerous and the thefts happen and the poor homeless people have nowhere to go. And that rends our hearts. That's the worst part of culture in a city. And we long, long for good culture. What I hate to see is that we aren't united as, a, as cultures. We're against each other. Oh, that culture's wrong and we're better than they are. It's just babble played over and over and over again. And as a person who loves the cultures of this world, I would love to see us able to get along and enjoy the differences in our culture. In fact, some of you have lost your culture. You've grown up in, in, a, in a way that you don't know what your background culture would be. Some of us, we're Americans. We're an amalgamation of culture. And, and we're trying to say, you can't have that culture or that culture. Guys, we long for culture to be valued. And in heaven, guys, culture is extremely valued. Notice how this goes on. Verse 24. He says, by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. 
and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night. Okay, so there's no nightlife, no corruption, no dangers, no evils, no nothing. The kings are bringing their glory of their culture in. In fact, it says they will bring it in. They're going to bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, of all the different cultures, of the beautiful dances of the Thai people, of the wonderful architecture and the art of the Aztecs, down to the Hindus and what they've done and some of their things and the Indian people. And what we will see is the cultures of all the nations, of all the times come together and none of it will be corrupted. Notice, not one unclean thing, nothing unclean will ever enter it. Anyone who, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. This is the church, the redeemed cultures of the world, bringing the cultures in to God. That means, guys, your background culture, your awesome food, your awesome dances, your language will be present in eternity to the glory of God without any of the godlessness, any of the foolishness, any of the brokenness. That means your personal culture, the things you make, your art, your hobbies, as you design and you put things together, as you use your hands on wood or metal, as you build motorcycles or engage with your cars, they will be gone. There will be no problem with these things because there will be no pride in it. There will be no sin in it. And we will bring our art, we will bring our stories, we'll bring our movies, we'll bring all of our dances and everything before the Lord God, who's redeemed it all. We're the one religion that promises your culture is redeemed. And if you love multiculturalism, I don't know why you don't want this eternal life. Do you not thirst for this? Do you not long for this? And this culture will be vast and huge because we will not be struggling with the base problems so much of us humans do because eternal life is full of provision, full of provision. Notice how it continues on. Chapter 22 then picks up. The the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. Hmm. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Guys, this is full provision. Absolute, 100% full provision. The earth, as it will say in a second, is uncursed. Guys, you love the mountains. You love the beauty of nature. It will be there without its dangers. It will be there yielding its fruits. It will be healed. The nations will be healed. There will be no need for medicine. There will be no need for doctors. There will be no poverty. There will be no people on the streets who have no homes, who have lack. Provision is full and complete. The earth is healed. There's a crystal stream. It's eternal life welling up in us through the world. It's a garden city. It is beautiful as we walk on the earth and we experience Eden. God has provided himself. He's provided everything we need. Guys, do you not thirst for this? Do you not long for this? The excitement of the exploration of the new universe, of the new heavens and the new earth, the excitement of bringing good works to God, bringing in art pieces and all these things, of enjoying the provision of the land, of enjoying all all of this wonder without sickness, pain, suffering, and death. No, it's not boring. In fact, Eternal life will indeed be full of worship. And I'm not talking about like singing songs worship. I'm talking about 
all that we do without sin is worship. So everything you will do in heaven will be worship to the living God. I know I'm getting a little overexcited here. But I, guys, check this out. Revelation chapter 22, verse 3. No longer. Huh. Will there be anything accursed? The ground's not cursed. Nothing's cursed. Nothing's against God anymore. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. We will prostrate ourselves. I don't know if we're going to come into His presence and, and just celebrate Him when He's around. And it's like worship services break out and songs break out and art pieces are done and stories are told and, and suddenly there's sermons. I don't know. I don't know how this works, but I know it's going to be exciting because actually it goes on to say this. No longer will there be anything accursed, and his servants will worship. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. You will have access into the Holy of Holies. You will see God face to face. You will not die. You will experience him 100% full-on ability to see, know, and be with God. The best thing that theologians have gotten to is this is ecstasy beyond ecstasy. It will be the addiction of heaven to be near to see the face of God because it's like a glass that resonates with that one resonant frequency. If you hit that volume and you hit that note, it will resonate until it cracks. We are made in his image. And what is empty in us is that we want to see the one that we are made after. We want to resonate with him. And I believe our lives and our souls will enter into ecstasy in his presence. We will fall and worship and cheer and celebrate. And it will not be wrong. We will not break. It will be everything good and amazing. It will inspire us to more art, to more songs, to more joy, to more culture, to better relationships, to everything that is there. And it won't end. Verse 5 says, There will be no night. There, there will be no night anymore. They will need no light of the lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Forever. This is what eternal life is about. It'll be like this forever. You think, that's really hard. That hurts my head. I don't want to think about forever. You don't have to. You see, you're living forever right now. The difference of now is that there's pieces of destruction in our lives. We're not at the new and improved yet. We're not at that which we long and thirst for. But when we are there, it will be fullness in every moment. It will be full as you feel at the end of an amazing day and you go to bed and you get up in the morning and it won't be naivete that it's going to happen again. It will be a promise. It is guaranteed. And who wouldn't want to live where every moment was full and it never gets unfull. It never ceases. But everything about heaven is complete and full. This is eternal life in the God who has given you himself a relationship with him, that you would experience him, that you would know him. If you want to grow in that knowledge that you can now, I want to challenge you. You can jump into our, our love keystone to, to begin to understand how to grow in that relationship with God. You can even join us on, online. We're doing an online study on the attributes of God so you can get to know him even more. But man, we need to press in. We need to enjoy him. We need to fight for our faith. Because the one who conquers, it says, will have this heritage and I will be his God. And he will be my son. Fight for your faith. The thirstier we get for this eternity, the longer we will be able to endure and the more we will be able to press forward. Thirst for it. Long for it. Beg for it. It's coming. 
And if you're in a position where you want to give up, don't. Fight forward. Keep going. Draw near to God. Live out that eternal life. Engage with Him. He is there. And let me tell you this. This is not closed to to those who are listening. It is open to everyone who will hear. In fact, notice what this says at the almost the total end. It's in verse 17 of chapter 22. It says, The Spirit, who is God, and the bride, which is the church, that's us, say this, Come. We're not saying stay away. We're saying come. We want you to have this eternal life. We want you to have this part. Let the one who hears this say come. Everybody tell those people come. Share this message. Let people know they can have eternal life. Because notice what he says. Let the one who is thirsty. Oh, this has made you thirsty for eternal life. This has made you thirsty for God. Then come and let that one who comes, who desires, take the water of life without price. Here's the beauty of eternal life. It is accessible to everyone who hears this without a price because Jesus Christ bore the price. He took your sin. He took the punishment. He took the payment and he put it on the cross and he rose from the dead to give you life if you will receive it. It is a gift to you. And today I'm asking you, do you want this life? Are you thirsty for a multicultural, engaged world full of God, full of relationships, full of knowledge, full of provision, full of healing. It is yours as a gift from the very God that makes it that way because he gave you his son, Jesus, if you will receive him, if you will trust his promise. I want to give you a chance right now to do so, to trust him that he will give you this promise that Jesus Christ opens the way to eternal life for you, a relationship with God that begins today. We'll talk about that next week. But I want to give you that opportunity right where you're at. If you just bow your head and you say, God, I trust that Jesus Christ bore my sins on the cross. He paid the price. I'm so thirsty. Would you give me eternal life that I may walk with you in that heaven? Trust he rose from the dead to give that to me. Help me now to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you prayed that with me? I want you to let me know. You can let us know by just texting this word BEGIN to 951-382-5111. Or you can simply click that raised hand there on the online or let somebody know on the chat. We want to help you. This is the beginning of your journey. We want to connect with you and walk with you, help you grow in that relationship with God all the way through as we fight for our faith and receive the quenching of our thirst and eternal life with God. I hope God blesses you guys this week and I pray that that thirst will keep you strong. God bless.